Welcome back to Foundational Thoughts, the podcast of the Missouri Baptist Foundation. My name is Neil, your host, and today we're in episode three or part three of a series with John Hessel as he's walking us through a capital stewardship campaign for a church. And as we've been talking, though we're talking about money, we're really talking about discipleship among God's people because God does something in my heart when I release money, uh, something that's valuable to me that's in short supply, it causes me to trust him. And so something happens in my heart when I do that. And so John's helping us through that after 35 years of experience helping churches do this uh, to fund buildings and ministries to accomplish ministry. And we're now getting ready with a church. We've been talking here for a little bit about a church who is interested in doing a capital campaign. They're thinking about a capital campaign. And you've talked us through some of those steps, John. You've kind of said that the church needs to be uh, well, you said, say it in your own words. The church needs to have a couple of things ready before they start a campaign. They do. They, had, they need to have a clear sense of vision of okay. what it is they are, they're wanting to do. Uh, and the church needs to have built a pretty strong uh, spirit of unity okay. in the congregation about the project. Okay. And everybody needs to be kind of on board, on with the vision. And so now you've met with them, they've called you, and you're talking. Or when does a church know they need to call in a, a consultant, a specialist in this area. How do they know that they need that? You know, some churches have raised money without having a capital campaign, and, and I know those churches have been successful, but when should a church call in a person to help with a campaign, and then what happens uh, when that person agrees with the church that it's time to do one? Well, the first measure is what a church's need is, and I've always used the standard of a church's annual income. Okay. If a church needs to raise less than their annual income, they can usually do that in a do-it-yourself approach. Okay, so if a but church if, has a $500,000 budget, then for instance... And they have a $400,000 project, they can, pretty, they can come pretty close to that on their own. Okay. Uh, now, they need to not be shy about their project, and unfortunately some pastors have learned to be shy you know, mm. about asking folks to give. But um, in most cases, uh, if, if it exceeds their annual income then they would really benefit from professional help. And industry studies, not just my own, have shown us that with the assistance of a professional consultant, you will usually raise twice as much money in a capital campaign as you will raise on your own. Really? And, it, and it's not because the consultant uh, has tricks or gimmicks that you don't have. It's because bringing in a specialist that can concentrate on the process and help you focus on what needs to be done and when it needs to be done really benefits. And so when a capital campaign is led by an experienced consultant, it's going to be more efficient and therefore more effective. And that will measure itself not only in the financial results of the campaign, but quite honestly also in the spiritual benefits that the campaign has in the life of the church. And so uh, if a church has a clear sense of vision and the congregation is generally in favor of moving forward with the project, but they realize we need resources to be able to do that, a capital campaign, as we've said in other podcasts, is the most biblical, most practical, and most economical way for a church to provide the funds it needs for a building project. And so once they have clarified their vision and the congregation is generally unified to move forward, that's when they need to call a consultant such as myself. And in most cases, um, the ideal time to do a capital campaign is in the spring or fall of the year. You can begin any time after January 1, but you want to be finished ideally by Memorial Day, excuse me, or 
even more, more generally by Mother's Day. So you have four months in the spring. Same thing's true in the fall. You okay. can start any time after mid-July, but you want to be finished by Thanksgiving. And a capital campaign typically takes three to three and a half months to carry out in the life of a church. And so, um, you know, now I've done them at other times as churches needed them, sure. but, but the point is that the ideal time to do them is then. So let's say, for example, that a church calls me in October and says, we want to do a campaign in the spring. Well, that's ideal because they've given themselves three months to calendar the campaign, to plan the methodology of the campaign, and to recruit the leadership that we'll need to have in place when the campaign begins. I become a very important part of that process because once they have agreed with me to lead their campaign, I sit down with the pastor or the staff, uh, sometimes even with a committee of the church, and we look at uh, not only when to do the various steps of the campaign to make sure that it does not compete with other ministry commitments, but it actually complements the calendar of the church. But the second area we look at is how does that church do ministry? And we want the capital campaign to be consistent with how they do church. And a good illustration of that, one of the first and most important steps in a capital campaign is a spiritual emphasis. That involves some kind of person-to-person prayer contact, focusing specifically on the project and how God is leading the church. Whether that is done in a face-to-face contact uh, where a trained visitor would visit a person in their home and pray with them for their church, or whether it would be a phone call, a little less personal but still reaching out, or in some churches they don't feel either of those would be acceptable to their congregation, so they would do a Sunday morning worship emphasis on prayer or something to that effect. And there are other variations on it. The point is, when I come in to do a campaign with a church, when we talk about methodology, I don't dictate to them, here's how I do a capital campaign. Mm. I ask them, how do you want to do the capital campaign? Now, I advise them, and I give them the benefit of my experience through the years, uh, but ultimately, when the campaign is designed, um, it's a campaign that reflects who they are and is consistent with their style and philosophy of ministry. So it's, it's not creating problems down the road. Well, we've never done it that way before, for example, right. that kind of stuff. The third area where uh, that, that preparation is important is enlisting individuals who would be willing to use certain skill sets that will be needed in the course of the campaign. So, again, using that illustration from October through the first of the year, we've planned it, we've calendared it, so other things can be put on the church calendar that they know will not compete with the campaign. And we start, let's say, for example, in mid-January. So we would go January to February, February to March, March to April. The other thing we always have to look at in a spring campaign is Easter. Right, and it always We'd, floats. For uh, Easter's never where I think it is, yeah, every year. It changes yeah. all the time. changes all the time, and it's a challenge because we never want, again, the uh, elements of a capital campaign to compete for attention with such an important time in the spiritual life of a church. So we would calendar and plan the campaign with those things in mind. And uh, so then once we've done that and we've enlisted the individuals, then we're ready to start. A campaign itself, again, if we start in mid-January, a campaign is in three phases or three steps. The first phase, which I call the preparation phase, is a time of enlisting workers, training workers, gathering material, but most importantly, laying a spiritual foundation for the rest of the campaign. Neil, I learned a long time ago that for a Christian, giving is a spiritual issue before it's a financial one, or at least it ought to be. Wow. And so when we start a capital campaign, we appeal to people's hearts. 
rather than to their pockets. And, and so the very first thing that the church does as, as a, a congregational function in a capital campaign is that ministry of prayer, however the church determines it needs to be done. Once we've done that, we have laid a spiritual foundation that we're ready to move into the next phase, which is called the communication phase. And the intent there is simply to cast a vision that the church can understand, not only what we're going to do, but why we're going to do it. Not just why we're going to do it in terms of our building needs, but why we're going to do it in terms of ministry and in terms of people's lives. Uh, Years ago, I heard an architect say, design your building very carefully, because after you build it, your building will design you. Mm-hmm. And we have churches all over the Midwest that can say amen to that, <laughs> that they do their ministry the way they do it because that's what their building allows. And if they had a different building or a different design building, they could do other different things that might be more effective in reaching their community. Yep. So that's one of the variables. That is so true. The church that I was a part of for many years, um, we were in a, they wanted to build a new building. And they thought they were building in the building for this ministry execution. It was a gym, you know, a family life center, which was a real popular idea. And it was an idea from the 80s that we could never really afford. And so the church just decided, hey, we're going to build it and, and the whole long process with that. But the, we could not have done the ministry we did in the years that I was there without the building mm-hmm. that we had. And for them not building that building for all those years, so many of those ministries and so many of those visions just couldn't happen because they didn't have the space to do it. Mm-hmm. And so you are so right that when we're talking about space, we shape our space, and then our space shapes us for a long time. Absolutely right. In our last podcast, <clears throat> we made reference to the fact that in a, in a building campaign, uh, people give for specific reasons in, in a capital campaign. And, and when you're casting that vision during that communication phase, what you're trying to do is you're trying to relate that building to concepts that people can understand. For example, if you were building a gymnasium or if you were building an education building to help folks see where that relates to their spiritual pilgrimage and to their life values as well as to others in the congregation. And that's what encourages them to give. But in that communication process, you are casting the vision in a way that people can relate to and understand. The reason we began with a prayer ministry in the preparation phase is during the communication phase, we want folks to begin to talk with God about their giving. Mm. One of the blessings to me through the years is the times that people have come to me and said, you know, I've been a Christian for so many years, and I've been giving faithfully for so many years, but I never did ask God, what do you want me to give? And I've heard people talk over and over again about how God has blessed them because God simply makes a promise and if they believe it and they trust him, there's a blessing to be gained. And, and so I've seen that compound over and over again. But anyway, uh, in the course of that, cap, uh, that communication phase, uh, they're, they're asking the question, how does God want me to respond? You have some kind of a climactic event of okay. that four-week period, and then you move into the last phase of the campaign, which is the commitment response. And again, all along the way in the campaign, the church has determined Here's how the campaign will work best in our congregation. Right. And I've helped them do that. At every step along the way, 
I meet with them. I provide uh, support resources, training materials, and other things to assist them in carrying out the various aspects of the campaign. And then as, as we move through it, I'm also there literally to guide them step by step through the process. There's never a time, for example, in my ministry when I would say to someone, here's the instructions, good luck. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel mm-hmm. a personal vested interest right. in seeing that their campaign works as effectively as it possibly can. That third phase is the the commitment response, as I said, and you give folks the opportunity after they've had ample time to pray about it, to hear about it, to think about it, hopefully to pray about it, then to make a decision. Here's what God is leading me to do. And uh, I've seen amazing things happen in the lives of churches. And those commitments could be in a worship service, maybe, or a banquet time or something like that. But the, when they make that commitment, then they're not having to bring all of the money that they're committing at the end of that service at no. that time because it's spread out over, what is a typical time three, for Three years is the typical giving period after okay. a capital campaign. Uh, typically, the campaign, as I said, takes three months. Okay. And using the illustration I used earlier, if a campaign went, ran through mid-January, mid-February, mid-March, it ends in mid-April, then the giving in that campaign would begin within two weeks, say at the 1st of May, and it would proceed for three years. Now, a couple of things about that, uh, and one is the high level of consistency between what churches commit to give and what they realize at the end of three years. Um, And it's because in a properly done capital campaign, there is no manipulation. There are no emotional appeals involved. It's a very honest, upfront way to say, ask God what he wants you to do, and then be willing to trust God to help you do it. And they enter into a faith covenant. When they make their commitment during that two-week or three-week process at the end of a three-month campaign, they've had an opportunity to, to determine, here's what I believe God is leading me to do, and am I willing to do that? And, and then they indicate on a confidential card, and we always do it confidentially um, so that we respect each family's privacy, but they make their decision and they make that known. But it, we never use the word pledge, for okay. example. It's not and a the, pledge. And the reason is we never want to imply that it's a contractual relationship with the church. It's actually a covenant relationship with God hmm. because... I can't possibly know what will happen in my life three years into the future. Sure. But God does know. And if I'm following God's leadership, and I believe this is what he wants me to do, then I'm also trusting God to make it possible that I can. And so uh, during the course of a, of a three-year giving period, I've also had families come back to me after the fact and say, you know, I didn't know how I was going to do that. And guess what? I got a raise last year, and it was just exactly mm. the amount my wife and I had committed to give, or things like that. And, and you know... Uh, sort of like we read in the book of Ruth, God drops hands full on purpose, you know, just to encourage us along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and so as, as people give, you know, they realize that this was a covenant I made with God. This isn't just a contract with the church. I've even seen where folks have had to move away from a church uh, and continue to send back their giving wow. for that three years because it wasn't just between them and the church. It was between them and the Lord. Wow. And that's what we've been talking about over these three podcasts. We have one more that we're going to talk about, church capital stewardship campaigns, because it does involve money and it does involve the expansion of ministry through buildings, but it's really a discipleship issue. And those people experience something. They they grew in their discipleship. They grew in their fellowship. 
And that's what we've been talking about in this podcast. We're going to come back and do one more, and we're going to ask the toughest question, I think, of all, and that will be to John in our next episode, how much does all of this cost the church? And so you've been listening to Foundational Thoughts, the podcast, the Missouri Baptist Foundation. My name is Neil. I've been your host, and we'll catch you the next time. (laughs) 